0: Let's all put our hands together. Welcome Pastor Mark this morning. Good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand as our campuses join with us over in Appleton and Stevens Point, as well as all those on the internet and on television. And let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith, this is who we are, what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us. And again, good morning to those in Appleton and Stevens Point. Glad that you joined with us this morning at Celebration Church to worship God and hope that you're... Service has been meaningful to you so far Um, About a year ago uh, a lady who uh, had come to Celebration Church Nikki Meyer uh, Some of you remember that name uh, was brutally murdered and it was quite a shocking thing in this community and certainly a horrifying event for her family and for her friends and stuff And of course they were trying desperately to find who had done it and it took quite a while they finally got someone that they believe that actually has committed the crime the trial is yet to come uh this uh fall and you can imagine what a painful thing this is this is kind of the, about a year anniversary of of when all of this happened and uh It's a difficult time, as you can imagine, for all the family and friends with them. Would you pray with me just a minute? I'd just like to pray a special prayer over them that God would comfort them. You know, people sometimes say, Pastor, why do bad things like this happen? Uh, It's because we still live in in a world that's full of evil. There's evil and there's good. Our whole goal is to encourage faith in God and good. But there's people who have nothing to do with it and uh, can be, you know rather evil at times, and some extraordinarily so. Uh, there is a day when all of this will be straightened out. But in the meanwhile, you know, it's, it can be very painful. And let's pray for them right now. Father, we thank you for the Meyer family and for all the friends and stuff that uh, uh, of Nikki that have gone through this very, very difficult time. And Lord, we can only begin to imagine the pain and the heartache of this And as this anniversary comes around. We pray a special blessing on them we thank you lord that we can trust in you you lord someday we know all good will overcome all evil joy will overcome sorrow Uh, lord we thank you lord that even life itself will overcome death until those times lord there's difficulty here in this earth sometimes evil uh, can strike very hard and very painful and we just pray your comfort over them lord Your word says that we're supposed to comfort one another and weep with those that weep. And we uh, reach out to them in prayer this morning. ask your special blessing and comfort over them. And we ask you, O Lord God, as we prayed in the Lord's Prayer, keep us from evil. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said Amen. amen. Thank you. We are in a series called The Significant Events of the Old Testament. We had left off talking about Jacob. Now, there's three major players uh, at this point in the New Testament, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob's name eventually becomes turned to Israel. He has 12 sons. Wait wait till you hear this story. (laughs) It's hilarious. We'll get to that. Not today. But uh, how he got these 12 sons. And... uh, uh, and then uh, they become the 12 tribes of Israel. They eventually go into uh, Egypt, which we'll talk about. That an amazing story. This is one of the great stories in the Bible. Uh, They're happy in Egypt until a pharaoh comes along who doesn't know them anymore, doesn't recognize them. He imprisons the entire nation and turns them into a nation of slaves. And they live in slavery for 400 years. That's a long time they're crying out to this God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob. Where are you? Save us deliver us and finally he calls a man by the name of Moses to go and Tell Pharaoh to let my people go. We'll get to that as well eventually. That's an amazing account Um, You'll see some stuff that uh, you don't normally hear you certainly don't see it in the movie versions Uh, Moses was very reluctant He didn't want to go, and God said, you need to go, and he kept saying, no, 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 and the Bible says God got so ticked, he was ready to kill him, squish him like a bug, (laughs) and then there was an intervention. We'll show you that, but you know, when God Almighty appears to you and speaks to you in an audible voice, you better do it, all right, so uh, he's blowing this off, and it's getting him in serious trouble, Eventually, they come out, uh, and, uh, you know, so that's all this comes from, and eventually the Messiah comes, born of Mary, uh, and, uh, and then uh, where we are today, so this is all where this comes from. So, we are in uh, Jacob. Now, there's a significant event here. You really can tell when there's a significant event in the Old Testament. Some of these, you know, different people might pick different events, but when the New Testament also talks about it, it's a big stinking deal. So this one now, what we're going to do is, even though we're Jacob, we're going to back up just a little bit because Jacob learned something from his grandfather, Abraham. Let's take a look at it. This is, now, this is Genesis, the 14th chapter. Abraham uh, was in a battle with uh, some bad people, and he, God blessed him, and he defeated the people. And we pick it up in verse 18. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, this is before he changed his name to Abraham, Abram, blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. And then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. This is the first time we see in the Bible where there is the standard of giving God a tenth of what you have. Now, we read about it in the New Testament. That's why we know this is a big deal. And in the letter of Hebrews, it says this in chapter 7. This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God most high. He met Abraham, even though his his name was Abram at the time. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. It's a big deal. The New Testament is talking about it. And then he starts to talk about this guy, Melchizedek, because nobody really knows who he is is. He comes out of nowhere. There's no record of him anywhere. And the uh, uh, writer of Hebrews, we're not sure who it is. We think it might be Paul, but we're not sure. It doesn't say. But the writer of this epistle uh, starts to theorize about who this Melchizedek might be. He said, well, first of all, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. And also they call him the king of Salem, which means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. He's a priest forever. So he starts to theorize that this actually could have been an encounter with the pre-incarnate Christ. Remember, Father, Son, Holy Spirit always existed. Uh, we finally see him in the flesh in Jesus when he comes. But before that, uh, he's theorizing that he uh, uh, this is who he is encounters. This person. And you notice the first thing this guy comes is he brings out bread and wine, and nobody knows who he is and stuff. So this is like Abraham giving to God, and he gives a tenth of everything. Well, then we pick it up at Jacob, Okay, so Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, Jacob makes a vow to God saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking and give me food to eat and clothes to wear. So he's asking for God to provide his basic needs. So that I return safely to my father's house, and the Lord will be my God, and his, this stone that I set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Who'd he learn that from? Grandpa Abraham. And this standard goes on and on. Now, you have to remember, sometimes people get upset about this thing of tithing, this 10% giving. Well, that's Old Testament law. Uh, Well, we'll read how it does become Old Testament law in a minute, but this is 650 years before the Old Testament law, Uh, certainly with Abraham a good 400 years or so before uh, uh, Moses comes along. So this is established back when there is no law. There's no rule about how to do this. They just willingly did it. Then finally, we get to Moses. So Moses brings the children of Israel Israel out in dramatic fashion. He goes up into the mountain. God gives him the Ten Commandments, and then he starts writing all these laws. The Ten Commandments are just the beginning of a whole bunch of rules and regulations, the Old Testament law, which is really, can be really, really intense and really, rather burdensome. And then Moses takes this, what they learned from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and puts it in the law. And he writes it in Leviticus. Twenty-seven thirty. a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It's holy to the Lord. You give God 10% of whatever you get. Now, this is law. When I say law, it's like the law of the land, like it is here. It's just like we have the law of the land that makes us pay taxes. That's what this was for them. They had to do it. <laughs> this was not optional. Uh, and it was enforced. And it was a pretty big deal. Well, time goes by, centuries go by, and they're kind of slipping and sliding, and they're kind of paying attention to what God says. Kind of not paying attention to what God says. And apparently God felt very strong about this, certainly as far as Moses put it out. And in Malachi, the prophet Malachi writes these words, and it's God talking through the prophet. And God says this, Will a mere mortal rob me? Yet you guys rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? And God says, in tithes and in offerings, because they weren't doing it. And he says, as a result, you're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Now, remember, this is a nation of laws, and the law of the nation is to tithe. Uh, But then God goes beyond this idea of just that it's an obligatory thing and shows them that there's a wonderful promise tied to it. He said, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. Now, that's a big deal, because you're not supposed to test God. You're not supposed to go out playing the highway with blinders on saying, don't worry, Jesus will take care of me, all right? You're going to get killed. Uh, Remember when the devil was tempting Jesus and took him up to the top of the big pinnacle on the temple and said, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down, the devil tells him. God will pick you up. He'll take care of you. And Jesus said to him, you're not supposed to tempt God. So you're not supposed to do this except in this one area. Here, God makes an exception. He says, test me in this. You know what it means? Try it and see if it works. That's what it means. Just try it. No harm, no foul, right? He says, test me in this and see. If I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be not room enough to store it. Jesus picks up on this in Luke, the sixth chapter. This idea of if you will give, God will bless you. And he says this, give and it will be given to you. A little bit, in your spirit. You just have good, no, no, no. Very specifically, literally physically, a good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. How many would like that? Amen. Yes, I would. The rest of you, too bad. For, for with the measure you use, Jesus says, it will be measured to you. As much as you give is what you're going to get. Paul picks up on this idea now and ties it all together in the epistle in the New Testament. He writes this. Remember this. Remember what? what Jesus had said, what the prophets had said, this teaching. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Well, now we have a bit of a change, and that is this. Uh, In the Old Testament, everything was done under the law. Well, uh, once once Moses came along, and these things were obligatory things. When Jesus comes, we don't live under the law anymore. We don't, Christianity is not about what you have to do. It's about what you freely choose to do. And a lot of people don't understand this. Because a lot of people's version of Christianity, it's just like this old religion of just tell me what to do. Just tell me what to do. Just tell me so I can do it. Just be very clear. And there's a lot of people wired like that. We call them perfectionists. There's a lot of, you know, there's... Um, we have a test called the flag page, but it's based on 2,000-year-old science. Lots of tests do that. It's a quadrant thing. Here's the theory. You pretty much can take all human beings and break them into four different groups, which is stunning. The four groups are, uh, you've got the fun group. Guess where I come from, all right? And these are the people who laugh about everything. We laugh at the most inappropriate things at the most inappropriate times, and we just can't control ourselves. We could be on the verge of death, and we would be laughing. By the way, we were in uh, Baltimore the other night, and Luke, he's a children's pastor over in Stevens Point, and uh, I've conscripted him <laughs> to be my road <laughs> partner, uh, and he's been helping me out because my wife hasn't been feeling all that well, so he's on the road with me, and I let him drive, and, uh, which can be a very prayerful experience. And... Uh, <laughs> You know, stop tailgating. I'm yelling at him all the time. Yeah, I'm going to smack you if you don't stop it. Okay, okay, okay. So anyway, it's night. We pull into a drive-thru to get something to eat. And we're pulling back out, and it's not very lit very well. And he says, which way to turn? Well, I'm looking at the little GPS thing. So we need to turn left. Well, he just turns left. He's not looking. And as he's crossing, all of a sudden, I see a median in the way and a sign that says, one way, that way. And I went, ah, it's supposed to be right. This is one way. And I I don't know if you've ever done it. I've done it once or twice before in my life. Every time, the other times I've done it, thankfully, you turn and there's nobody there. And you go, ah, and you quick turn around, stuff like that. Well, we turn, and there are so many white headlights coming towards us. i like, ah, and he's going, ah. And he starts to turn, and he gets stuck. So he can't back up, so he's blocking the whole road. And all these guys are, Arr! and he's trying to, he's like, we're going to die. And I'm laughing hysterically. <laughs> I think, oh my goodness, we're going to die. But I got to laugh because it's what I do. So you got fun people, you've got control people. These are the control freaks of life. If you accuse your spouse of being a control freak and they get angry at you, they're not a control freak. A true control freak. You accuse them of being a control freak, and they'll go, that's right. Get her done. Chop, chop. Move it along. Let's go. Then you got peace-natured people. These are the Gumby dolls of life. Oh, you people just want to get along with everybody. You got to be careful with these people, though. You can push them, and they will bend and bend and bend, but when they break, oh, look out. All right, they can go psycho on you. It'll be a bad day. And the fourth category are perfect-natured people. These are the people who want things to be done just in a certain way. They can't function unless you tell them, what do you want me to do? Tell me how to do it. I need to know how to do it. Because, and there's a lot of you out there. That's exactly the way you function. If I were to get you to volunteer for something, you'd have to know, well, tell me what to do. How do we do it? I got to know how to do it. They got to just have it all because that's how they function. Fun people, we just go blindly into the dark and against the traffic. So. Uh, <laughs> But not perfect people, they want to know exactly what to do. And and this nature in a lot of people is kind of the same thing that a lot of people pick up when it comes to religion. They want to tell me exactly what to do. What do I do? How do I do it? da 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 But they don't and, and a lot of these people are actually drawn to the Old Testament. There are a lot of Christians who get pulled back into that Old Testament thinking and rules for this and rules for that and this, and that. this is a horrible way to live, in my personal opinion. The truth of the matter is when Christianity comes, there aren't gobs of rules to follow. It's you don't have to do things. You should do them just out of love to God. Do you have to pray? No, you do not have to pray. Should you pray? Yes, you should pray. You want God to bless you? You've got to ask him. You want God to give you things? You've got to ask. Jesus said, if you don't ask, you don't get jack squat. My <laughs> translation. All right. So, so, uh, uh, what was the point I was just going to say? <laughs> I just had a senior moment. I hate that when you pull the drawer open and there's nothing in the drawer. It's like, what happened to the drawer? I don't, I don't know. What was I just talking about? I people. Perfect people. Perfect people, yeah, yeah. Religious people. They want everything to be put out just like that. But when it comes to Christianity, you don't have to do it anymore. You should do it, okay? Do you have to go to church? No, you don't have to go to church, which is proven by most of my congregation. <laughs> Because the attendance goes up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down. People always ask me, Pastor, how many people go to your church? I said, it depends. <laughs> it depends on the weather. They say, you mean when the weather's bad, they don't come? Oh, no, no, no. When the weather's good, they don't come. <laughs> the bad is normal for us. The good news is we live in Wisconsin. And the weather's usually bad, like it is this morning, all right? So they, 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 you know, they, they want to know, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do? And here's, here's the reality. You don't really have to do much of anything. There's basic Christian morality that the New Testament talks about, you know, sexual immorality, lying, cheating. I mean, the basic stuff. You're supposed to stay away from that. But beyond that, there's not a bunch of rules. There's not days of obligation that you have to do. A lot of churches come up with all these rules that they throw. There's really no rules. The reality is you should be serving God freely and joyously, your heart. And now when it comes to giving, it's not a matter of what's written in the law, a certain percentage, although you have to admit the tithe is the gold standard. It existed 650 years before there was a law when there were no rules at all. This is what they freely did. The New Testament talks about this. But in the New Testament, there is no law about how much you should give. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Now, I know a lot of people think, God bless me and then I can give. Because I know, I know, I listen to a lot of y'all. You know how many people come up to me and say, oh, pastor, just pray I win the lottery. Because if I win the lottery, I'll, I'll give a bunch of money to the church. First of all, you don't know that you would. Money does crazy things to people. If you're a tightwad now, you win the lottery, you're still going to be a tightwad. In fact, you will disappear, and you I will lose your number. <laughs> That's exactly what happens. You think money all of a sudden you become a different person. You don't become a different person. Everybody's oh, Lord, oh Lord if it's just God bless me, that I can be more generous. No, no, no. You need to learn to be generous in the first place. That's the way this works. That's the rule. Now, if you don't need God to bless you financially, then I guess none of this really means anything to you. If you are one of these people that you honestly don't need God to bless, and I'm not being facetious. There's a lot of you, I don't know, a lot, but there's, there's people that they have their lives so structured and so organized, they've got it all figured out, and they don't really need much of God at all. I always feel sorry for these people. Because at some point, something hits the fan and they collapse like a deck of cards because nobody gets through this thing without major problems. But they have so far and they think it's fine. I don't really need... Well, if you don't need God, then then you don't. If you're one of those rare people that actually needs God to bless you financially. Anybody out there like that? Anybody in Stevens Point? I can see you over there. Yeah. Then you want God to bless you. Now, here's the reality. We got to be honest. Be honest. At some point, you just got to be honest. The truth is, we don't believe any of this. We don't believe it. If you truly believe what Jesus said, if you give, it will be given to you more than you can handle, you'd give like crazy. We don't believe it. Paul said, if you sow generously, you'll reap generously. We don't really believe it, or we'd do it. So how do we deal with this? Well, we need to grow in our faith. First of all, we need to just be honest and say, God, I have a hard time believing this. Help me to have some faith. And start somewhere. Get a point of reference and start giving consistently. Not just when you show up at church. See, that's the problem. A lot of people, they give offerings. All y'all. Appleton, Stevens, what y'all listen to? You're in this too. See, what happens is every summer, our offerings drop off, fairly dramatically, because people don't go to church, and their version of giving is only when they go to church. But you have to understand, your giving is not like a cover charge to hear the band. <laughs> you ever go to a bar where they got a band, they got to pay a cover charge? If you don't want to pay the cover you just don't go inside. You stay outside, all right? That's not the deal here. You're supposed to be committed to your church, committed to God, and you should give consistently whether you're here or not. Now, I say this because summer is coming, and there's going to be some nice days, and I get it. You've never heard me yell at anybody for taking off some nice days in the summer because it's so rare around here. And you want to take vacations with your family and sit around the camp and go to the cabin. And the good news is you can pick up your iPad and still watch church online. It's kind of... But set it up so that you can give... I need one of those. Anybody got an offering? Uh, What do you call it? Bulletin. What do you call those paper things? (laughs) Nobody in the front row. You guys don't come to church very often? Hey, Bob, give me the deal. It's your fault, Bob. It's your fault. There you go. All right. In your bulletin is one of these things. It's called recurring giving. There's four different ways that you can give. You can set it up by texting. You can call the church. You can fill out the card. Uh, You can go online. And you can say the best thing is just set it up automatically. Make a decision. How much do we give every week to God? How much do we give? So, Pastor, how much? That's up to you. The gold standard is 10%. I can't do 10%. Well, can you do one? Can you do five? Can you do three? Can you do seven? I mean, look at your life. Where are you at? Start somewhere and see what God does. Because when you start giving, God will start blessing you. And I promise you, the people in our congregation who do this, they know exactly what I'm talking about. Your financial situation is way better than it's ever been in your life. And you're actually better off than when you kept all 100% of it. You're actually better off. The rest of you still don't believe that, <laughs> so you don't do it. Well, start somewhere. Test me, God says. You can actually test God. See what he'll do. But don't just be in a situation where you're just throwing in a cover charge uh, for the band today. That's, that's not the way this is supposed to work. He says this. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. The rules have changed. God loves a cheerful giver. Nobody has to do anything. Say, Pastor, we have to give something. You don't have to do anything. But do you want God to bless you? That's the question you have to ask. If you don't need God to bless you, then fine. If you are those rare people that actually need God to bless them financially, you need to learn to do this. Um... And God will bless you, is, is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need. Everybody say, all that you need. Amen. Wouldn't it be great, at all things, at all times, you'd always have all that you need? How many would like to sign up for that program? Yes, the rest of you, you want your life to suck? That's fine. Okay? <laughs> but the, those of us who like that program, this is, I want to be in a place at all things, at all times, having all that I need. This is God's promise to those who will be generous. And then he says this. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. What he's talking about? Remember, he said he who sows sparingly will reap a little bit. Those who sow more will reap even more. You have to have seed. You, God has blessed you financially. That should be your seed money that you can give back as you bless the kingdom of God. The problem is the country in which we live, the culture in which we live, is a very consumeristic culture. And what we do is we eat all our seed as soon as we get it. And then people say, well, Pastor, I don't have any money to give. You're right. You're not lying to me. I know some of y'all don't have Jack. Do you know why? You ate everything God gave you. In fact, some of you have eaten seed you haven't even gotten yet. It's called MasterCard, American Express, Visa. You've eaten that seed, man. You whip out, you got loans, you got this, and you're eating seed you haven't even gotten yet. And here's the irony of it. People in this situation they don't want to tithe. I don't like that sermon pass. I hate it when you talk about giving tithing and that kind of. Thing. Here's the irony: you people who live like this, you tithe all the time. Ten percent, seventeen percent, twenty-two percent. to Mastercard, American Express, and Visa? They're slowly sucking the life out of you. You're tithing more than anybody in this church size. You're just giving it to the wrong people. Somebody say Amen. You've got to learn to quit eating everything you have. And that's hard for us. But at some point, you get to the place you can afford a $40,000 car, get a $20,000 car. If you can afford a $400,000 house, get a $300,000 house. If see, but it's what they do. They come into the bank. How much can you afford, right? And they go through the thing. You can afford this. So, they take all your seed. And you go, okay. How much car can you get? Let's see how much you see. I'll take all the other seed. Okay, let's sign up for that. And you kept just signing up for stuff, and we live in this culture. Do you know that most Americans don't have even $5,000 in the savings account? The vast majority said, don't even have that. That's insane. We're the richest country in the world. And people live like paupers because we eat everything we touch. La, 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 la. Stop, don't eat all your seed. Learn to back off a little bit, adjust your life. We have these financial classes, uh, they're called, what are they called? <laughs> <laughs> I know we have I just don't know what they're called. Dave. I know it's Dave Ramsey, the name, Financial Peace, yes. It's not called Dave Ramsey, it's called Financial Peace. <laughs> Uh, and these, these are classes. They'll show you how to live your life without eating everything. It's no fun, I promise you. I've been there. It's no fun to have everything you have already consumed before you get it. It's an icky thing. The person who has very little never envies a person who has a lot but is in debt. The person who might have a bunch of stuff but is in debt Always envies the person who has very little but no debt. It's the no debt people that everybody else envies. We can show you how to, that's what this program's for, this financial peace. Show you how to live without it. And then when that happens, all of a sudden you have seed. And now you can start enjoying. We should understand this. We're in Wisconsin, we're surrounded by all this corn and now it's manure. <laughs> oh man. It's like, I know to farmers it's the smell of money, but to me it's the smell of a cow's butt. It's nasty. <laughs> but they plant corn, and then they get all this corn. And here's the thing. The more corn you plant, the more corn you get. And it's not even Stephen. It's not if you plant like a thousand kernels, you get a thousand back. You get way more back than you. That's why they plant so much. The same principle that God put in the ground is the same principle God will use to bless your life. If you'll start to believe it, test it. Start where you're at and help us out. We could so fix our campus in Stevens Point, Appleton, and Green Bay, if everyone this summer would just make a commitment up front, we're going to set up this automatic giving at whatever level you need to start at, wherever your faith is at. And I tell you, people who keep doing this, there's, there's people in our church who give way more than 10%. I know people, not in our church sadly, but give 20, 30, 40%. Easily. Why? Because they have so much stinking money. Because everything they touch turns to gold. Well, why doesn't God bless me like that? I don't know. Let's pretend you're God for a minute. <laughs> who are you gonna bless? The person who's very generous and the person who eats all the seedy touches. You're going to bless this guy over here and over here. That's why everything he touches turns to gold, everything. And they get more and more jack. Pretty soon the guy's given 20, 30, 40% of his income. How do you think all these hospitals and stuff exist today and churches exist and missions, ministries all over? These are very generous people, wealthy people, who are blessed out of their eyeballs. And why are they so blessed? Because they are so generous. And God knows I can trust that person with money. Let's grow in this area. Let's learn. To be generous. And please, as a congregation, it's not like I'm looking at how much you give. I don't look at how much you give. Mainly because I don't want to get angry. All right? So I have no, when I come to you, I have no idea. You might give a bunch, you might give jack squat. And in this church, we don't treat you differently either way. This is not one of these churches that the people who give money get special attention. You know what I'm talking about? They play that game, they don't get special attention. We love everybody. Uh, and we try to treat everybody the same but uh, anyway learn to be generous be kind because god will bless you if you'll trust him test him he says in this testament and if you can sign up for so just consistent giving so that it's automatic then you don't even have to bring anything with you just we give x amount of dollars every week and then when you're on vacation and stuff this summer and having a great time god bless you it would be wonderful Summer's coming, or so I heard. (laughs) We don't really have spring. We don't have spring. Anybody who's ever lived in another part of the country that actually has spring, you know what I'm talking about. In fact, for a lot of people, spring is their favorite time of year. You almost never hear anyone in Wisconsin say spring is their favorite time of year. Do you know why? Because we don't have any spring. We really don't. We have summer. We have fall. We have an eternity of winter. And then we have mud. And there's this mud, kind of drizzly, cold thing, that and then all of a sudden, summer pops. <laughs> Praise God we made it to another one, all right? So summer's coming. I get it. You want to take your time off. You want to go with your family stuff. By all means, just be faithful, because if we could not take a big dip, it would make such a difference. Don't just give when you come to church. And by the way, you should be coming to church a lot. Do you have to? You don't have to. You want your life to be blessed? You should. It's different. Christianity isn't about what you have to do. It's what you should do. And you choose to do it. There's no one enforcing laws on you on any of this stuff. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your kindness and your grace. You are very kind to us. You give. You gave greatly. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that you gave your only son. That whoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We know that, God, you are a giver. As your children, we should be like our Father in heaven. Teach us, Lord, how to give. Fill us with the faith to give. Give us the discipline not to eat everything we touch. Help us to learn to be financially successful so you can bless us so we can be even more successful. Oh, God, there's people in this congregation. I know if they would just step out, you would bless them so much. God, we need We need people in this church that just do extraordinarily well financially. But you're not going to change the rules for anybody. We all have to do this the same way. We need to learn, trust, and obey. And the goal of all this, Lord, is so that we can be a healthy organization that keeps reaching out to people with the love of God, so we can share with them the love of Christ. Thank you for the buildings that we have in Appleton and Stevens Point and here in Green Bay that we gather and the lights and the air conditioning and the heating and the music and all the stuff that we do, all of that is so that we can present Jesus to people. Because in you is life, and that's what we want them to experience. Give us faithful people, Lord. Just fill this congregation. If there's one thing that would mark this congregation, oh God, let it be faithfulness. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. God bless you.